Egypt. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregations of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. All right. Um, okay, as we get started, everybody, I want you to think about a time... When you were in big trouble and someone came to your rescue, someone came to your rescue, um, the biggest example that I can think of of this uh, happening wasn't actually when someone rescued me, but someone rescued my wife, and I was absolutely helpless to rescue her. She's given me permission to share this story. So um, it was a couple years into our marriage, I think three years. Ezra, you're going to love this story. Where's Ezra? Okay, there he is. <laughs> Sorry, you blended in right there. I'm like, where'd you go? Um, we were out skiing Big Sky, Montana. And, of course, my wife had grown up snowboarding. She's an excellent snowboarder. I did not grow up skiing. I had skied once or twice, kind of stuff around here. So this was a very, very new experience for me. And I hadn't skied for, like, five years. So I'm kind of gangly and not ultra good on skis at this point. And we were, in, we were skiing in March, and so the afternoons were warm, and it would melt the slopes. They'd be kind of slushy. Then overnight, it would freeze again, and the next morning, all the slopes would be really icy. So we were out for the first run of that second day of skiing, and everything had really iced over. And, of course, my wife takes off. She's an excellent snowboarder. She can snowboard all day, go off jumps. She's awesome. And I take off as slowly as I possibly can go, right? And... Uh, Sure enough, um, Jenny catches an edge and face plants so hard it cracked her goggles, it broke her helmet, and she was completely unconscious. She's like halfway down the mountain. And of course, here I am, you know, going as slow as I possibly go because I know I'm going to wipe out at any moment. So it took me several minutes before I came on the scene and she was still unconscious. It was really, really scary. Everybody was panicking. We thought maybe she had died. I mean, it was a really, really serious moment. So I'm kind of freaking out. Thankfully, I took so long to get to her that she was only unconscious for a few seconds before or while I got there. So then she started coming to consciousness. And a moment later, the rescue ski team from Big Sky arrived on the scene. And I was like, okay, awesome. They started treating her. Um, they got her on this sled. And I'm thinking, how are they going to get her down? This is impossible skiing. To me, it felt like we were going straight down the whole day. you know. But that's how it feels when you're skiing big skiing for the first time. Well, they just take off, and they skied like it was nothing, and she's just towed behind them on this sled. And they said to me, okay, you're her husband? I said, yeah, meet us down the hill as soon as you can because we got to get you guys to the hospital. I was like, okay, so how do I get down? They're like, just ski down. And I'm like halfway up the mountain still, and like these mountains, it's not like Great Bear where it's, you know, two minutes up, 30 seconds down, whatever they say. This is like 20 minutes down for a decent skier. And I'm a horrible skier. And so I start going, and not only am I a bad skier, 
my legs are like jello now because I've just, I just like, what happened? I just came upon this horrific, you know, traumatic incident. Oh, oh think, I, did I almost lose my wife? What's going on here? And so I'm as wobbly as can be, and I just keep falling and falling. And they're up there. I can see the ambulance now down at the very bottom of this hill, just tiny little ambulance, and everybody's looking up at me. Of course, I had this bright red ski suit on too. And so finally, I'm like, I don't know what else to do. So I, dr- I stopped skiing, drop, and roll. And I think that goes for like the fire thing, you know? But that's what I did. I stopped, I dropped, and I took my skis off, and I just held them, and I just rolled down the mountain. I just slid and rolled all the way down the mountain. And it's still a huge family joke to this day. But I was like, you know what, whatever. I couldn't ski. And they told me to get down as fast as I could. And that was way faster than me trying to ski and like killing myself. And then they got to come back up. Anyway, the, the, the best part about that story is that Jenny was not relying on me to rescue her. It would have been an awful, awful day if she was like, where are you? What are you doing? How come you're taking so long? I was just completely incapable of helping her. And maybe you don't have a time where someone like saved your life or it was super intense, but can you think of a time where you were in a real jam and someone really helped you out? Um, I found this week that it's actually not that easy to remember all those times. Like I had to think about it pretty hard until a lot of those big moments started bubbling up, which kind of proves my point for the day, and that is human beings are professional forgetters. We forget about the most important things in our lives, don't we? How many of you have forgotten not just about a, a rescue story in your life, but about a really important day? Maybe the birthday of a loved one. Kids, you ever forget about uh, an important birthday? Um, or how about an anniversary? Married folks, will you admit to this? Yeah, that's not a good thing, right? But it happens. It just happens because we're professional forgetters. Um, we forget about the most important things in our lives. And God knows this about us. He knows we're prone to forgetting things, even the most important things. And so what he does, he's constantly putting things in our lives to remind us. Constantly putting things in our lives that are saying, hey, do you remember this big thing that happened? Yes. That's really important for you to keep at the front of your mind. And some of these things that God uses to jog his his people's memory are usually um, celebrations and feasts. That's what we find in Israel's history. But he uses like something physical, something tangible, where all of your senses are engaged, and it actually serves to drive the memory deeper every time you celebrate it, every time you come around that feast. And that's what we see in our passage today. We see the first Passover, kids. That's what we're looking at today, and we're going to experience it together. And God designed this then not to be a one-time thing, but to be an annual reminder to his people of how he had rescued them out of the land of Egypt. He wanted them to stop and remember their rescue. That's the title of my sermon today. Remember your rescue. This Passover feast would totally interrupt all the Jewish people's lives, even to this day. Like all the preparations for it. They had to get all the leaven out of their house. They had to prepare this great feast. Then the story of the Exodus would be told, maybe by a grandfather or grandmother, in great detail. They'd have all these special foods that they would never eat throughout the year and they would eat today. We're going to try some of them together at our tables. All of them designed to help them remember how God had rescued them out of Egypt. And remembering our rescue story is important for us too as Christians. We never want to get over what Jesus has done for us, right? So many important things in our lives hinge on keeping our rescue story at the front of our minds rather than letting it drift to the back where it's like, yeah, no big deal. I'm kind of over that. 
We're in the midst of a series this summer called Get Out, and what we've been doing, kids, we've been laying two stories of God with his people side by side, the story of his people in Exodus and the story of his church in Acts. And today, we're looking at how God calls his people to be a people of memory. Specifically, he wants them to remember their rescue. And so here's what we're going to do. Just for the next few minutes, I'm not going to take very long today, those of you who you know, criticize me for being a long preacher. Uh, we're, we're not going to take very long, but we're going to do some interactive, fun kind of stuff together, all right? And we're going to look at three big ideas from this passage. First of all, we're, God wants us to remember what you were rescued from. Okay, so here's my outline. God wants you to remember what you were rescued from. God wants you to remember who it was that rescued you. And he wants you to remember what your rescue cost. Those are the three things we're going to look at just for a few minutes today. So here we go. First of all, remember what you were rescued from. Um, let me give you a couple examples. Let's say that I saved you. Kids, you're not driving yet, but let's say I saved one of your parents a $5 parking ticket. You'd be like, hey, cool. Thanks for looking out for me. You know, I'd, five bucks is five bucks. But then what if I said I saved you from five years in prison for some sort of tax fraud or something like that? You'd be like, Wow. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's huge, right? But then what if I said, I saved your life? Those three incidences all have much different feels to them, don't they? And Jesus was constantly teaching this in the Gospels that whoever has been forgiven much, they will love much. And whoever was forgiven little, they will love little. So the same is true for you in your rescue story. If you feel like your rescue story is a big deal, like what God pulled you out of, like you, you were in bad shape and God pulled you out of it. Those people, you meet them and they can't stop sharing about Jesus, right? Jesus is so precious to them. But then you meet some people that are like, yeah, it was pretty good to begin with. Jesus didn't have much work to do with me, right? And they don't love him that much. He's not nearly as precious. Their story isn't as precious to them. And the big idea is that we all need to remember our rescue story, and it needs to be a big deal to us. In Israel's case, they needed to remember that they were rescued from slavery in Egypt. So uh, their rescue was from a life that was hard and bitter, and it had no future. Just imagine, kids, if your parents are slaves, and all you have to look forward to is endless slavery. You're never going to own property. You're never going to um, be able to have your family prosper. None of your life goals are going to come true. All you're going to do is help to build some wicked king's empire. It's a really hopeless place. That was the life of the Israelites in Egypt. And God wanted them to remember what they were rescued out of, and so he had them do this. In, in uh, Exodus 12, verse 8, the next verse, after, just right after Z read, it says this, They shall eat the flesh that night, that means the lamb, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. So unleavened bread and bitter herbs. As a part of this annual feast of the Passover, God had them eat these very specific foods as a way to jog their memory. All right, and we're going to do this. So I need a, a volunteer from each table to run up here quick. Don't run into anybody and grab one of these bowls. Okay, quickly. Just one volunteer. I see two from one table. Good job, you guys. Just get one bowl, though. You don't want to take extra of this one. Hey, Rip. Good to see you. Okay. So as you're returning to your seats, you're going to find in here 
a couple of things. Some unleavened bread. This is actually what Jewish people would eat during the Passover. Okay? Um, It's, you know, obviously they had unleavened bread because it was a reminder of how quickly they fled out of Egypt. They didn't even have time to leaven their bread and let it rise. Right? So God wanted them to remember that. It's some specific details of how they were rescued. But also you'll find in there some bitter herbs in the form of horseradish. Kids, how many of you have had horseradish on a sandwich? Your palate is not developed yet for that, right? But this is bitter herbs. So go ahead and try it at your tables. Take a little bit of the cracker, dip it in the horseradish, and taste it. And after you do that, kids, there's some candy to cleanse your palate because you're going to want it. All right? Did you taste it? Taste it, Bryn? You can't have the candy until you've tasted the bitter herbs. Okay, candy is not a part of the Jewish Seder, but um, the, the bitter herbs really are. Any, anybody want to share? Kids, what do you think of the bitter herbs? Riv, what do you think of it, buddy? Did you taste it? He's drinking, he's drinking something. He came prepared today. Good job, buddy. Yeah, Mason, what did you think of it? Gross. Yeah, because it's really bitter, right? Yeah, Lydia's got the look on her face. What do you think, Lydia? Not good. So God says, I want you to eat this gross stuff. Why? I want you to remember how bitter your life was in Egypt, in slavery, in bondage, and that I rescued you out of that bitter life. That's what God is telling them. So these things are still part of the Jewish Passover meal, which is called the Seder. If you ever hear that, that's what they're doing. They create this meal and they eat all these very specific things. But they would also have other things nowadays. These aren't written in the text. But one of the other things that Jewish people do is they take parsley, which is this bright leafy green plant, and they dip it in salt water. And the parsley represent their lives and the salt water represents their tears. So their lives were filled with tears in Egypt. It's a way of remembering. You see? God says, I want you to have something physical, something tangible, something that sits on your tongue and reminds you, oh yeah, that was bitter. That was awful. Praise God that he rescued us out of that. And when we remember our rescue as Christians, we also need to remember the bitter situation that God rescued us out of. You know, for some of us, that situation was pretty intense, like drug or alcohol addiction. Right? For others of us, we were chasing after life and money, sex, power, career advancement, those kinds of things. For others of us, we were just trying, working really, really hard to be good so that we could save ourselves. But any way you look at it, our destiny was still the same. All of us were headed for death and destruction. All of our lives were bitter, and then Jesus rescued us. And Passover points us to that rescue that we all need, that rescue from death. So that's point number one. God wants us to remember what we were rescued from, right? You're rescued from horseradish, right? Just think of that. You're rescued from this bitter life that all of us would have had apart from Jesus. But that brings us to the second thing. God wants us to remember also the one who rescued you. You know, in all the superhero movies, they always wear costumes, right? Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, 
They're always wearing costumes because they don't want to reveal their true identity. And everybody who gets rescued, what do they want to know? Who is it? Who is that person? They want to meet them. They're kind of obsessed with it, right? Well, here in our passage in Exodus, God makes it very clear who's doing the rescuing. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. So he's saying, look, I'm the God of your forefathers. That's the one who is rescuing you. And actually, after Passover, God changes the way that he identifies himself and describes himself and includes the rescue in that. You remember this, right? Like several times in the Old Testament, God says, which God am I? I'm the God that brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Like he's even using his own name, his own description of himself to jog their memories. Listen to Psalm 81, verse 10. The psalmist writes, uh, writes about this. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Just this remembering of, oh yeah, God did this great thing and now he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you now still. And though we don't say, okay, our God is the God who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We don't connect as closely with that story. Our God has a name too, a very, very specific name. His name is Jesus. And kids, anybody know what the word Jesus means, what the name Jesus means? You get an extra candy if you do. Anybody know what Jesus means? Savior. What a fitting name for a rescuer, right? It actually means Savior. Jesus is the one we worship and adore. And I tell you what, we can get this confused sometimes if we're not careful. Sometimes we can think back on our rescue story and think, yeah, I was off, I was really in a bad, on a bad path, but I tell you what, I made some great life decisions, got myself cleaned up, and now look where I am. It's my, it's my life choices that did this. No, no, no. That's not what Christians say. Every part of your rescue is glory be to Christ, right? He has done that. It wasn't you that rescued yourself. Sometimes if we're introduced to Christ by somebody or somebody had a lot of influence in our lives, really mentored us and walked alongside with us, we can tend to glorify that person and say, boy, if it wasn't for that person, I would not, I would not be saved. And it's like, no, 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 they're just the messenger. They just introduced you to the Savior, to the rescuer. Jesus is the one who does the saving. We were broke and destitute and helpless. We were like me and my wife up on that mountain. And then Jesus skied in and rescued us, took us from death to life. And so he's the one who deserves all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. He's the one that died and rose again from the dead. So we remember what we were rescued from. We remember who it was that does the rescuing. And then finally, we remember what it cost to rescue you. You know, the greatest rescue stories are the ones with the greatest cost, Right? The greater the rescue, the, the greater the cost, the greater the rescue. Um, there was a story in 2020, and there's been lots of stories like this, by the way, even local stories. So I chose a local story. There's a story in 2020 of a man who was out at Wall Lake. We're not going to Wall Lake today, so I specifically didn't choose Lake Vermilion. But he jumped in the water to save his son and nephew, accomplished his mission, but unfortunately, tragically lost his own life. And this is what the story on Kelloland read. Lazaric Garrett was on a flotation device with his son and nephew at Wall Lake, just west of Sioux Falls. A woman swimming with them says a wave came up knocked the children into the, and knocked the children into the water. 
Grant dove in to save them, but could not save himself. The woman was then able to get the children back on the float. The Minnehaha County Sheriff's Office says, by all witness accounts, Grant saved the lives of the two children at the cost of his own life. At the cost of his own life. The greater the cost, the greater the rescue. Those two boys, they will never forget their rescue story because of how much it cost their dad and their uncle to rescue them. He paid with his own life to rescue them. And that's our story as well. You know, the Israelites were instructed to celebrate Passover as their way to remember what it cost to rescue them. And what did it cost? Well, it took blood, right? We sang about blood, and sometimes you might wonder, why do Christians sing so much about blood? And it just sounds so gory and stuff. Well, it takes blood to rescue us. That's what the Bible says through and through, both in Old and New Testament. It was the lamb who died instead of them. Its blood was shed so that the people could live. But of course, we know that that lamb was only a signpost, right? Pointing forward to God's ultimate rescue, to the time when he would rescue his people once and for all through Jesus, the Lamb of God. Brothers and sisters, kids in here today, do you remember what it cost God to rescue you? Are you acquainted with that? Is that story at the forefront of your minds or has it gotten old to you? Has it gotten to be kind of old news, whatever, no big deal? It cost God the life of his only son to rescue you. It cost his son his very blood. Just like with the Passover, blood was necessary to rescue us. I want to read how Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in the Jesus Storybook Bible, and then we're going to do an activity together. So let me just read this. This is how she puts it, and I, I like how she puts it. This is the end of the ten plagues. Of course, the final plague, the death of the firstborn. She says this, Finally, Moses warned Pharaoh, Obey God, or he will have to send the worst thing of all. Pharaoh just laughed. So God said, The oldest boy in each family of Egypt must die, but my people will be safe. God told his people to take their best lamb, to kill it, and to put some of its blood on their front doors. When God passes over your house, Moses explained, God will see the blood and know that the lamb died instead of you. The lamb died instead of you. That's what we're going to experience right now. So if everybody would gather at the back behind this door, um, we're going to do an activity together um, that I will explain here in a moment. All right, kids, you're going to love this. Everybody gets to participate in this. We are going to do our very own Passover celebration. So just like Sally Lloyd-Jones says, what, what God instructed the people to do was to take a lamb, their best lamb, and to kill it, which we decided not to do that today. Um, for Susan Boos. Just for Susan. She would never forgive me if I killed a lamb in the sanctuary. But they would collect its blood, and then they were instructed to do something kind of crazy, to take some of its blood on some hyssop branches. Couldn't find any hyssop. And they were to smear it on their doorposts. And then when God would come into the land, 
to strike the Egyptians, he would see the blood on their doorposts and he would pass over them. They would be safe. And that points us forward, of course, to Jesus, right? His, on the cross, his blood was shed for us. That when we put our faith in him, we trust in him, we believe in him, his blood covers over us, and then we pass from death to life. So what you're going to get it to do, everybody gets to come up here. Sorry, I spilled a little on the floor already. So careful with your shoes. This is washable paint, so parents, no sweat. Um, but take one of these brushes. You can kind of go two at a time. And just, kids, even you, take some and put some on this door. And then experience what it's like to pass from death to life. You understand, if you're in a house and your doorposts are covered with blood, you're completely safe. Death couldn't touch you. And that's exactly what we experience as Christians. If you're, if you're covered with Jesus' blood, death cannot touch you. All right? And so um, I'm going to have Charity go first. And then she's going to play a little music behind us. But just go through. Take a moment. Take your time. Put some blood, some paint on the doorway and experience what it's like to remember that Jesus' blood was shed for you so that you can pass from death to life. All right? Go ahead. Just start with whoever. Amen. Okay. Uh, great job, everyone. Doesn't it feel great to be on the inside of that door? Notice we put it at the back so that our whole community, our whole family is on the inside, safe. Jesus' blood covering over us. Um, kids, great job. I saw some of you really getting after it, wanting to make sure that there's enough on the door. I mean, I, if, I were you, if I were an Israelite kid, I would have been like, we're, we're going to go all heavy on the blood here. Uh, to make sure that, uh, that God sees this. And so that's, that's awesome. Now, this is what the Israelites did. This is what um, the Jewish people did. Now, how do we, as Christians, celebrate our rescue? How do we remember our rescue? Well, we do it once a month here at Life Church with something called the Lord's Supper or communion. That is the, the feast that we experience because Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the Passover, right? He's our Passover lamb. His blood was shed for us so that we pass from death to life. And so we're going to remember um, our rescue through communion today. And listen to this. Jesus, fittingly, the week that he was crucified, celebrates the Passover with his disciples. And then he says, now, I'm going to give you a new way to remember your rescue. Listen to this. This is from Luke 22, verse 7. It says, then came the day of unleavened bread. That's the first day of the Passover, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room that where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So you hear this. Do this now in remembrance of me. Do this now and remember your new rescue. There's going to be a new rescue. Absolutely, the Passover is still important. It's still a part of God's people's history, a very important part. But it was pointing forward to their ultimate rescue. And Jesus is saying, the ultimate rescue is now here. It's me. Do this in remembrance of me. So we still have a meal that reminds us of our rescue. We take the bread and we say, Jesus' body was broken for you. Remember that. Remember that's part of your rescue. His blood, take the cup, his blood was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink that and remember your rescue. So that's what we're going to do right now. If I could have the servers come. Uh, we're going to have these tables over here come to the servers on this side of the table. These tables will come to this side. There will be two servers on each side. And if you would, please, today, kids included, if you can, I know it's hard walking back to your tables with these little cups of juice, but if you can make it back to your table, just hold the elements, and let's receive them all together as a faith family, okay? So we're going to come up, receive them, and then take them back to our tables, and we will consume them together in just a moment, all right? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. All we can really say is thank you. We were not able to do anything to rescue ourselves. You became a man, died on a Roman cross, and rose again from the dead so that we can have life in you. Pray that that story would be fresh and new to us today again. That it would be Nothing but life and joy in us. Would you send us out to share that good news today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you're here today and perhaps you came and you do not yet have a rescue story with Jesus, we are so thankful that you're here. Um, we're honored that you'd spend this time with us. There will be people up here to pray with you. Today is your day. Come to Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him. His blood will cover over you. You will pass from eternal death to eternal life today. There's going to be some people up here to pray with you up front. For the rest of us, we're going to stand and just sing and celebrate as we remember our rescue one more time today. Amen?